So today's topic is, how do you know if this new name you're fixing to lock and load on is the right name? You know, is a great name. Let's say it's a name that you personally love, right? You've gone out and you've done some things and after a lot of effort, you've come up with a name and man, that's it. Or let's say you've had your team involved or maybe your employees involved and it's taken weeks or maybe it's taken months to go through hundreds or thousands of names and you get down to a few. And you say, which of these is really the best name? You know, which of these names really should we, we invest in and take in into the future? So that's the question. How do you get past that subjectivity and, and sort of seeing outside of the box? And I think maybe the obvious answer is, well, you have to validate the name with who it's for, with your target, right? So if you're selling a product or a service, if you've got a new company, you're going to use them as a master brand, or if you're going to do some fundraising with your nonprofit, you want to make sure that name, that new name resonates with the people you're targeting with that name. So that often involves some type of research, some type of name testing research. Some folks like focus groups. There's some problems with focus groups. That's where you get like six, eight, 10, 12 people maybe around a table and you ask them all kinds of things. And the problem with that is it's often an artificial setting. There's often a lot more thought put into the discussion and the name than there would be in a real world. The worst thing I've ever seen done is you don't even tell them ahead of time what it's for, right? You bring them in, <laughs> you have the, the two foot by three foot whiteboards with each name in exactly the same font and color, all in black, and you show them a name and you say, well, what do you associate with this name? What do you think this name might be used for? Don't do that! It's ridiculous! A name always has context. And the only way to test a name, in our opinion, is to provide as much real-world context wrapped around that name as possible. You know, it could be how it might look on the web. It might be how does it look on the box, if it's a product. Whatever that context is, that's the proper way, in our opinion, to test a name. And we've been doing this for almost 40 years. And prior to starting this company, we were part of Nielsen, the market research firm. So we do have roots and grounding in how to test all kinds of things and, and naming is a bit of an odd beast but certainly the context is important. So you might say well I'm gonna call some of my friends right I'm gonna tell them a little bit about what it is and then I'm gonna get their reactions and, and that's valid but again unless your friends are representative of your target I'm not sure that opinion should carry as much weight as you might give it. So the approach we like is what's called quant research, quantitative research where you go out and you talk to a representative sample, a large enough group of folks that are from the target you are, you're going after, right? The right age, the right gender, the right socioeconomic status, around the country or wherever it might be. So you're actually gonna get results from people that you then can extrapolate to the entire target you're going after. But there's a problem with quant research when it comes to naming. And here's the problem. Whenever you ask the question, what do you think of the name? Or which of these names best fits what this product is? Or which of these names will make you most interested in buying the product or the service or contributing, donating money to my nonprofit? You're going to get an artificial reaction. And think about it. When you yourself are browsing on the web 
or walking down the aisle of a Costco or a Target or wherever it might be, are you consciously thinking about, is that a good name or a bad name? Probably not, right? Unless you're weird like me and you're in the naming business and you think that way, you're not going to think about names that way. You're simply going to react to a name. And you won't necessarily even know why that name grabbed your attention, but you'll see, oh, that's sort of interesting, right? Or, oh, what's that? Right? It, it, it breaks through and it grabs you just for that, that split second. So how does one test for a name and capture that reaction? And this goes back to Daniel Kahneman's book. And it's thinking fast and slow. And it was a landmark text. I think he got a Nobel Prize for some of the research that he did there. And it talks about how the human brain you know, consumes an inordinate portion of the energy given its size and weight. And so through evolution, we have evolved as creatures to minimize the energy load on our bodies and on our brains. So the brain defaults to subconscious thinking or reactions whenever possible to take the cognitive load and the energy consumption off the brain. So Kahneman's research showed that if we have some defaults in terms of how we react to certain things, that is the preferred way the brain's often going to operate. It's, it's fast, it doesn't take much energy, and then if needed, the rational thought, the, the system two thought, the more pondering can be brought into play. But for 99% of the names that are out there today, or 95%, you never really get to system two because the key is that system one. How do people react to the name? This is how we think and this is how we test names. So let's pretend in this case that we're coming out with a smart toothbrush, right? So you're a parent with some teenagers at home who tend not to brush their teeth, right? They're on TikTok. They're, they're doing this and that. They don't have time to brush their teeth. And so you take them to the dentist and guess what? They all have cavities. Every one of them's got a cavity. And the dentist pulls you over and says, look, Either your kids are going to start brushing teeth, or the next time you, you bring them in here, they're going to have a lot more cavities, and this is going to cost you a fortune, and later in life, it's not going to serve them well. So you think, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So, this smart toothbrush comes out, right? And it's pretty darn cool. It's got some intelligence built into it, and it actually senses how long they're brushing their teeth what the orientation of the toothbrush is, so are they getting the upper right quadrant, the lower left quadrant, all that kind of stuff. And it'll give you a report at the end of the week. So for each one of your kiddos, you can see, okay, how long were they brushing their teeth? Did they brush their teeth the right way? And all that kind of stuff, right? So it's a great tool. So the challenge is, what do you name the thing, right? What do you call this new, you know, smart toothbrush? So we came up with some names and we actually did this test. This is a fake test. It's not real data. I mean, it's real data, but the names and the scenarios fake. So we came up with names like, and these are not all great names, right? We just want to give you a representative sample. Um, Thorough Care, Intelligent Toothbrush, Smart Mouth, Cyber Tooth, Integrated Toothbrush, Confident, and Connected Toothbrush. Okay, so those are the names that we put in front of consumers, in front of parents. And we ask the question, if the following names are associated with what you just saw, we show them a little picture, right? A little picture of what the toothbrush would look like. Like maybe if you're looking at this on an Amazon website or at that Target or that Walmart and you're shopping for a toothbrush, how would you rate each name? 
But what we're doing is not just looking at their ratings from great to awful, right? But we're also looking at something else. How quickly do they pick the name? In what order do they pick the name? Is the name selection definitive? That is, do they have to move it around? Well, maybe that's not as great a name as I thought. So they go back and they push on it or they click it and they move it to a different score. Or do they even touch the name at all? And here is the traditional way the results would be plotted if we didn't care about reaction, right? Just on this just on this x-axis, you know, the best names on the right, the worst names on the left. This is the traditional research approach. And the best name, just looking at the traditional research approach, was D, and that's Intelligent Toothbrush. I mean, that's a very descriptive, obvious name. It's a smart uh, toothbrush. It's got some AI technology built into it. Mom or dad thinks, that's what I want to go. Okay, but <laughs> if you look at the reaction, which is on the y-axis, that's where it gets really interesting. So when we do that, look at what rises to the top on that y-axis. It's not Intelligent Toothbrush. It's A, Smart Mouth. Smart Mouth garnered almost an instant, immediate reaction. It was the first name that most respondents scored. And from a market, real-world setting, that is almost always the name you want to go with because it grabs their attention, it cuts through the clutter, and now you can tell the story, or now they'll pick up the box, or now they'll read the rest of the description on the Amazon website, whatever it is, right? So that's the key to doing name testing, is not just, you can ask the questions, it still is interesting to know well, which of these names do they like the most. But what's more important is which name do they react to the quickest and initially. Now you'll notice that Smart Mouth doesn't score as well as Intelligent Toothbrush in terms of likability. You know, Intelligent Toothbrush did score a little bit better. So there's some verbatims where we actually ask them why, you know, why do you think you scored the name? the way you did. What were you thinking? And this does get into that system too, but it's still insightful. So what was interesting was some parents did not like Smart Mouth. Why do they not like Smart Mouth? They're already having problems with their middle schoolers talking back to them. Quote, having a Smart Mouth and being a Smart Alec. So they did not want a name that reinforced that type of aberrant behavior that they wanted to avoid. But most parents said I like the edginess in the attitude that smart, mouth, that smart Mouth conveys. I could see my 12-year-old son or my 13-year-old daughter thinking it's pretty cool and funny to be brushing her teeth with a Smart Mouth toothbrush. And they might even talk to their friends about it. So the parents that liked it and scored it at the top is because of compliance that maybe that's not the best name for me, but for my kids, and that's my problem, I can't get them to brush the teeth like they need to, Smart Mouth is a great name. So whatever you guys decide to do, the takeaways I would like for you to remember is number one, please, however you do it, try to validate your name with your target, with that external audience. And if you have to do a focus group, at least present the names in context. If you want to touch base with some people you know, then include people that are representative of that target. And if you have the money and the time, 
do it the way we just talked about, which is how we do it, which is where you do a quantitative test with a large enough set of respondents so you've got some statistical valid results. So then you can actually know that, well, smart mouth is truly a name that's going to cut through the clutter, it's going to hit the ground running, and it's going to leverage whatever budget we have, however limited that budget might be, for effective brand building, you know, for building preference, because we know the smart mouth grabs that consumer, grabs that customer very quickly. Best of luck in your naming journey and in testing that name the right way. See you later.